You're listening to the Gateway Christian Church Beckley Campus Podcast. To find out more about the church, visit our website at gatewaychurch.net. Let's get into this week's message. I'm so glad that we can be here uh, this morning and talk about um, continuing our sermon series on Timothy, who is a true son in the faith. And what's awesome about looking at Timothy's life is that we can see all aspects of Timothy's life, uh, even, even what we go through, the highs and the lows. And now we're going to see him come back uh, to a place uh, as we read about him through the scriptures of encouragement. You know, he was a young man who quietly was living in his faith in Christ when he was tapped on the shoulder by the Apostle Paul to join him on the second missionary journey. And we read about that in Acts chapter 16, verses uh, 1, through all the way through Acts chapter 18, verse 22. And it was during this missionary trip that Timothy, in his early 20s, became a vital member of the Apostle Paul's team, faithfully serving, and was tapped on the shoulder a second time, and this time he was tapped to be the leader at the church in Thessalonica to strengthen and encourage uh, the believers there under intense persecution from the Jews. The church was strengthened, and he brought the good news back uh, to Paul and his team. And the reason I say this before I dismiss the kids to this is because, listen to me, young people, um, you're going to have highs and you're going to have lows, you know, and, 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 and God is still the same God on the mountaintop as he is in the valleys with you, all right? And, and you need to understand this, all right, before you take off, that he'll never leave you or forsake you. That's how much he loves you. So this morning, as we're going to be looking at this, I just kind of want to give um, that to our young people. Think about this young minister. He's, he's, he's riding this wave, and right now he's probably about as low as he's been in his life. And today through the scriptures, we're going to see how God continued to use him and pulled him into a greater acts of service. So again, I think it's a great question for everybody to ask, especially our teens. How can I be more useful uh, to God and in his service? So all right, guys, you can go with Scotty and Janine. You guys go have a good time. Uh, and learn about the Lord. But just remember, you're going to ride the highs and lows. And last week, we covered in this certain period of his life, while he was still in the second missionary journey with Paul, Paul was tapped uh, uh, Timothy again on the shoulder for a third time. And this time, he went to the church in Corinth. And you remember us talking about the church in Corinth? It was basically, what, the church, just like a church in Las Vegas, right? It was some wild times in Corinth. There was a lot of crazy stuff going on. You know, some of the things I didn't even mention last week um, on Mother's Day, there was, Corinth was so messed up, <laughs> they had a guy who was living with his father's wife, all right? That's, that's stuff that ain't happened here in West Virginia that often, right? I mean, let's just be honest about it, all right? That's some crazy stuff going on there. I mean, you, that's stuff you see on Springer, all right? Let's just be honest about it, right? So that was, that was going on in that church, and they, by the, the grace of God and loving uh, one another, they were able to pull this situation that was bringing uh, disgrace upon the church. And they were able, by, when you read the book of 2 Corinthians, it says that this immoral brother who was expelled from the church had been brought back into the church. And how that happened was he, he corrected the situation that was wrong in his life. And then the, the apostle Paul says, now church, you accept him back as a brother in Christ. And if you don't, the judgment comes upon the church. I mean, so there was a lot going on there. So, I mean, it was a wild church. And remember, they, Paul sent Timothy because he did such a good job in Thessalonica um, to help out that church and strengthen the church in the face of opposition. He thought, 
Well, he could probably do it in Corinth. But evidently, it didn't go so well for Timothy in Corinth, did it? And while he was there, like, a, and I don't want to, I'm not doing any finger pointing here, but do you know what the average length of a ministry is for a minister in their 20s nationally at a church? 18 months. 18 months. Churches are notorious at taking a young minister full of energy, ideas, and passion, chewing them up, and spitting them out. And I think that's exactly what happened to Timothy at Corinth. And so Timothy is about as low as he's ever been. But that question still is in Timothy's heart. How can I be more useful to the Lord in his kingdom? And we all experience failures and disappointment. But the question is, is what will you do when it comes to us? You know, I'm a basketball guy, and I'm not uh, promoting this man or his lifestyle or his choices, but he did have a pretty good quote. Allen Iverson was about the smallest person that I've ever seen play in the NBA. Uh, Muggsy Bogues was probably the shortest one, but Allen Iverson was tiny. He wasn't the most athletic. He couldn't do stuff. And he'd go into the attack that rim with tenacity and ferocity. I mean, he was just, he was tough and he would get knocked down. And he has a quote and he says, it's not how many times you get knocked down that matters. It's how many times you get up. And here's the question this morning. Even if you blow it, even when the failure is your own fault, you need to get back up. You need to get back up in the saddle and ride on. You keep on serving, and you keep leaning hard into Jesus. And wherever you're at in your journey of faith, and whatever you're already doing, God can use you in a greater capacity than in what's going on in your life right now. There is no better time now to surrender your life to Christ. There is no better time now to get involved in his work. There is no better time when you have to step up, toe the line, and say, here I am, Lord, use me. Your church needs this from you. Your community needs this from you. And your family needs this from you. And so this morning, the word is that we're only going to focus on is encouragement. And how do you do that in face, in fact, of a time when you have great disappointment? How do you capture that this morning? Let me fast forward a few years in Timothy's life. Timothy had been quietly and faithfully serving the Apostle Paul, and now we get into Paul's third missionary journey, which you can read about in Acts chapter 18, verses 23 through 21 and through 15. And and it's around A.D. 60 that the Jewish opposition has finally caught up with the Apostle Paul. And they caught up with him in Jerusalem, and they had him arrested and imprisoned. Now listen, Paul had different levels of arrest when you're reading his letters. One of them that we're going to be talking about today, he was under home confinement. He had an ankle monitor. (laughs) So he still had some freedom, but he was the first one to to experience ankle monitoring. So he's under home arrest when we're picking up the story today. And then later in the Apostle Paul, uh, during during Emperor Nero, he would actually be put in jail. And then eventually he was executed by the uh, Emperor Nero during this time. But right now, He's under house arrest in Rome, okay? And here he writes what we call the prison letters. And in the Bible, you have the books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. These are the four books he writes while he's under house arrest. Now, again, when when bad things happen to people that I know of, most of them don't start writing books for Jesus Christ. But the apostle Paul did. You know, I have a saying, and you all know this, pity loves a... 
party, right? Pity loves a party. And when bad things usually happen to people, they usually close the blinds and shut down and get depressed. Not, not the Apostle Paul. Because even under home confinement, he wrote these letters. You know, like in Bible college, we had to memorize all the books in the Bible in order. And the other one um, that he wrote before this was Galatians. And so I always remember the order of Galatians, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. You know, um, go eat purple carrots. That's how I remembered it, right? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's how I remember it. Some people said General Electric Power Company, but they're just weird. I like go eat purple carrots. But anyways, that's how you can you memorize things like that and help you in the Bible when you're studying it. But here's the thing about the Apostle Paul. And all these short letters, Timothy is included in the greeting. So now we know where Timothy's at during this time. Look, Philippians 1.1, Paul 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. All right? Now look at Colossians 1.1. Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. And now look at Philemon 1.1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. So it seems that Timothy has become the right-hand man of the apostle Paul during his uh, home confinement. And if, if we're answering the question, how can I become more useful in the Lord's work and in his kingdom, then we can look at Timothy's life as an example. He had just come off this major disappointment of what took place at Corinth. But now he goes back and spends time with the Apostle Paul. And let me say it this way. I, I believe this in, in your Christian walk, all right? I believe everybody needs a Timothy in their life. You need to have someone that you're encouraging and pouring into that will carry on the work of God. I believe that. Everybody needs a Paul in their life, too. You need somebody that you look up to as a spiritual mentor. And I also believe everybody needs a Barnabas in their life. And that's a friend that will encourage you no matter what. And Paul had these three relationships in his life, and Timothy desperately needed the Apostle Paul again. Because when you go through a time of disappointment and discouragement that that Timothy went through questioning like, man, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Am I doing what God wants me to do? You need somebody in your life who will pour into you and say, look, God's not finished with you yet. The greatest t-shirt that's ever been made is not the gateway shirts that we have. The greatest t-shirt that's ever been made was the shirts I had made when I was at Grandview. And everybody hated those shirts because I had the first letter of these shirts, and it, it was an orange shirt with white lettering, and it had just lettering all over it, and they were all out of order. And I, the whole point was is somebody to ask you about your shirt. There was just like P and G and D, and there was all these letters on your shirt. It, I call it the alphabet shirt. But when you could look it down at your shirt, you were supposed to be able to point to the letters and say, please be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. God's not done with any of them. You say, well, I'm getting up in my ears. Well, Moses, how old was he when God called him into ministry? How old was Abraham and Sarah? you got to understand, God has plans and purposes for your life. God's not finished with us yet. So when we go back and look into Philippians and dive a little bit deeper into the word, and when Paul's under house arrest in Rome, Timothy is his right-hand man. And he has come back since the experience that took place in Corinth. Read Philippians 2.19, and the Word of God says, Paul writes this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send G Timothy to you soon, that I also may be, uh, may be cheered when I receive the news about you. 
Now pay attention to what he says next about Timothy. Verse 20. Don't miss this verse. I have no one else like him. Now, wait a second. Paul had lots of people around his life. Lots of people who encouraged him. We've mentioned several already in our study. Barnabas, John Mark, Silas, Titus, Aquila and Priscilla, uh, Titus, Justus, Luke, etc. All these people are mentioned, but go back to what he says about Timothy. I have no one else like him. The closest I think we see a relationship uh, described like this in the Bible is David and Jonathan in the Old Testament. But Paul says, I have no one else like him. Timothy was probably not the most gifted leader. We see what happened to him at Corinth. When we get back to the books of 1 and 2 Timothy, it's clear that Timothy's picture of his personality, he never thought he was good enough. It seems like he was more of an introvert, very shy, timid nature, kind of like me, kind of one of those guys that's kind of <laughs> just, yeah, all right, anyways. Timothy seems to be more of a follower. But on the other hand, he was used by God in great ways. He was going to be used as he went through this period of his life to be a strong leader, maybe he became more courageous and outgoing. And probably when we read, read about him, he probably sent him to Corinth to replace Titus. I don't think that was the last time that Timothy went back to Corinth. It's just my opinion. Yet Paul says this again. I have no one else like him. Why was Timothy so admired by Paul? Don't miss this. It's not the depth of his giftedness, but rather the breadth of his character. Let me say that again. It probably wasn't the depth of Timothy's giftedness that impressed Paul so much, but it was probably the breadth of Timothy's character. And this is important to you and me because not all of us need to be the superstars. It won't matter. You know, I remember when, when I was talking to Dave about the idea of partnering with Gateway to start a campus in Beckley. He said, you've been the lead minister for since you were 24 years old, whether you were at Grandview, whether you were at New Hope in Indiana, and then Guy and Dot and came back to Grandview. He said, how will you do sitting in the second chair? You know what I said? Put me there. I'll put the sign on it says number two, because I'm done with being number one. I'm a good team player. I'm not the head coach of Shady Spring. I'm the assistant coach of Shady Spring. I said, I've had all that time and attention in the spotlight. And I feel like my, the way I'm wired, I feel like I'm a pretty good number two. And I believe that Timothy understood that in his role. And I think he understood that he could fit in that role and be used in that role. And God could do great things to him. But here's the thing. Even when his level of his giftedness maybe was called into question, Timothy still worked on his character. And we need to understand that too. We may not always get the award or the promotion or the accolade, but we can always be working on our character when it comes in our relationship to Jesus Christ. And I think that's important for us to understand. You see, when I see people who are extremely gifted and talented, like today, I have the opportunity to coach in the Scott Brown game. And these are all the seniors from all over the state of West Virginia. Um, they have the class 4A seniors playing against the class 3A, AA, and single A seniors. That's the team I get to coach. 
all right? And I tell you, these are all the top basketball players of seniors in, in the state of West Virginia. And when you get to be around these kids, you're like, man, these kids are really good. They can, they can really play. But I think about all the way back down to, you know what I do at, at the high school? I coach the JV kids. Those are the freshmen and the sophomores that dribble the ball off their feet, then making me lose more hair. <laughs> and they're overall just great kids, and I love being around them. And they may not have the talent and the ability that some of these guys are flying down and going to be dunking on the rim today and shooting it from 30 feet, but they love basketball just as much as those other guys do. But, you know, there only might be one in a hundred of those superstars. But for those other 99 kids that play basketball and give their heart and soul to it, it still matters to them just as much as it does to the superstar. And you matter just as much as God. Maybe your role's not out front. Maybe your role is preparing communion. Maybe your role is uh, making coffee. Maybe your role is going out and helping. Um, we got a few more uh, requests to build some wheelchair ramps. Um, maybe you'd like to be behind the scenes. You know what? Those works are just as important to God as the ones that we think are more important. And in fact, if you read in the book of Corinthians, he's trying to help the Corinthian church who seem to be so much absorbed about the importance of self that he writes to them and says that we're all members of the body of Christ. And each one of us have a unique design. And some of us, you know, the piggy toe can't say to the, to the eye or the nose that you're not needed. You need your piggy toe. You cut that sucker off and try to walk and see what happens. Every part that we think is unglamorous, um, not as glamorous or not as useful, those parts make the body work. I don't know what the reason for the appendix being in there, but God designed it for a reason, didn't he? And so my, my point is, is look, you, you may think, well, I couldn't get up there and preach a sermon. Well, neither can I. I do my best on Sundays. <laughs> That's all I try, all right? But, but, but listen to me. Whatever God has called you to do, you do it, and you work with all your might to bring glory to God. And Timothy understood this. There's a lot been written about what it takes to be a good leader, isn't it? John Maxwell writes books on leadership all the time. But you know, there's very few books written about what's it mean to be a good church member. What does it take to be a great team member? What does it take to be a great church member? What kind of member is more useful to the Lord and work in his kingdom? Timothy shows us this. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about him. Philippians 2.20 goes on. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him soon so I can see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. What more can we learn from Timothy and in his service and encouragement, but also about our usefulness of the kingdom. And here's the two things I want you to take today. Number one, he cared more about others than he did himself. You want to know the kind of quality and character that was being developed in Timothy? Listen to what the scriptures say this morning. It says that, gen that Timothy had a genuine concern for the Philippian believers. Others, even though Paul's team seemed to be more concerned about themselves and then the work of the Lord and the people of the church. 
But in the second letter to Timothy, which we'll get into a couple weeks, listen, Paul made this comment about another young man who served on his team. His name was Demas. It says, for Demas, because he loved the world, deserted me. Now, remember, what did Paul say about Timothy? I have no one else like him who shows genuine concern for you. You see the difference? Self-centered people will find themselves out of the kingdom because the kingdom of God is not about yourself. It's about others. And that's a heart condition. That's a spiritual heart condition that needs to take place in each one of us. Well, how do you know if you're growing in your relationship with Christ? You think about others and you value them more than yourself. Because is that natural to do in our society? How, how, how is every commercial labeled to the American consumer? It's all about yourself. You deserve this. You work hard. You do this. You accomplish this. You do this. You do that. We're getting ready to get in graduation season, and we need to celebrate all the accomplishments of our young people, right? And we need to encourage them. But we also got to walk that fine line that they encourage and not blow themselves up as a big head, right? Someone asked me, he said, have you come down from cloud nine yet from the state championship game? Listen, this is the same dude that was here before <laughs> we played in the state championship as the same dude that was here after we played in the state championship. Nothing's really changed. You know, I want to, don't get me wrong. I'm proud of that accomplishment, but I'm more proud of it for the kids in our community than it had anything to do with me because I tape ankles. <laughs> I tape ankles. That's what I do. And I encourage those kids after they get a little uh, intimate one-on-one -on -one time with Coach Olson. <laughs> I'm the guy that builds them back up. <laughs> you understand? And when they get that one-on-one -on -one intimate time with, with Ronnie, I'm the guy <laughs> that comes back and says, he really loves you, all right? And so do your parents. And I hold up a mirror and say, doggone it, people love me, <laughs> all right? And I try to help them there, all right? That's my job. And yeah, I work and practice. I tell them some certain things. But the thing is, is that I understand my role on the basketball team. And I also understand my role as a campus minister. You know, here, listen to me. The role and the goal of a minister in the gospel is not to do everything themselves. It is to prepare God's people for every good works of service so they can go out and spread the good news. That's the job of a minister. It's not to do stuff for people. You know, and we, we kind of, I don't know, this is my soapbox for a moment, but we kind of we set up ministers for failure this way. Because we pay them, <laughs> you put money in the plate, well, that minister needs to come see me when I'm in the hospital. That person, you know, we give money, we, we, we should expect certain things out of our minister. That's never the picture that we see in the early church. They, they prepared people for works of service, and they went out and spread the kingdom of God. Don't get me wrong, I have a job description. There's things I need to do, and I love to do. And it's been hard during COVID. You know I'm a people person. I love to go and see people in the hospital and see them when they're sick. And it's been so hard for me to be away from people during that time. But what, don't miss what I'm trying to say. In our nation, in the American church, if it needs anything, it's not less preoccupation with ourselves, isn't it? Because it's all about us. What can you do for me? What have you done for me lately? This is not an outward-focused mentality. We'd rather much rather serve ourselves than it comes to serving others. The greatest effect of sin in our lives is that we become supremely interested in ourselves. Let me say that again. I believe the greatest effect of sin in our culture 
is because we, we become so self-focused. And don't get me wrong. Tanya started CrossFit. She's getting buff. You've seen her? She's got some guns, all right? And, she, and I think that's a good thing, to get healthy. But if it's just to look in the mirror and take selfies, that's going to be a problem. I might do, post a few when I go on vacation here in a little bit from you guys. I'll post a few selfies for you. But I'm seriously, our, our society, talk to the young people. They're concerned about how many likes they have. Well, what's that saying? That attention is brought on who? Ourselves. It's brought on ourselves, not on others. So we hear phrases like this. This is my plan, my dreams, my life, my happiness. Well, what happens when God gets in the way of your plans? It's no doubt that self-interest is a condition, and it's a human condition of sin. In fact, if you go all the way back to the beginning, to Adam and Eve, that was the problem. The temptation wasn't the, the fruit that they weren't allowed to eat. The temptation was, and the problem became, is that when Satan tempted them and said, hey, he told you not to eat this because you have become like God. And that sounded pretty interesting to Adam and Eve. And I think it sounds pretty interesting to people today. Jesus is our supreme example of what it looks like to give your life up for someone else. He is the example of service. In fact, he said, I didn't come into this world to be served, did he? What did he say? I came to serve and to seek those who were lost and give my life as a ransom. He was very clear what his life was about. It wasn't about himself. You know, can you just see Jesus? I mean, can you go down this road with me? You know, there's a certain basketball player that plays in the NBA right now, and any little thing he does, he <coughs> does that. If you don't know who I'm talking about, just Google what I just did, and you'll see it. Can you see Jesus when he healed the blind man? <coughs> <laughs> when he raised the person from the dead and like, <laughs> could you just, you don't see that about Jesus. I'm sorry. There's little things like that that just drive me crazy. You know, I can't see Jesus, you know, telling the lame man to pick up his mat and walk home going, whoo, holster in the threes. That's not Jesus. But that's exactly what our society does. And then we take a picture of it, and then we post it. Friends, the kingdom of God is not like that. The kingdom of God says, hey, meet me at Miss Tony's and let's do some yard work. The kingdom of God says, this person needs a wheelchair ramp. I need a few of you guys to get together and build it. Why do we do those things? Why am I involved? Not so that we can say, look at Gateway. <clears throat> no, we say, look at Jesus. That's why we do those things. That's why there's more things to do in the kingdom. I'm sorry, I could go on and on about this, but this is my number one pet peeve in society. Taylor says, I love it when you get fired up in a sermon. This is, here it is. You know, here it is. I mean, this is what it's all about. I mean, I see every time you get a new car. We get it. I see when your kids get A's. I never see the report cards when they get C's. I'm just saying. All right? I see when you get a new hairstyle or bought a new pair of Gucci slippers. I see it all, all right? But I don't see it when you've been spending time in the mud helping a neighbor out. You see what I'm saying? 
That's a heart condition. And now my chest is sore. Point number two, <laughs> I just beat the tar out of myself. <laughs> so number one, Timothy cared more about others than he did himself. And number two this morning, you want to understand what it means to be an encourager? He cared more about the work of the gospel than he did his own comfort. Now, if you thought the first point was hitting your toes, I'm aiming for your heart here. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Timothy? He was a young man from a good family. He was in love with Jesus. He had the opportunity to serve along the greatest Christian missionary of all time. But it didn't come without risk. Paul's bold approach to sharing the gospel put him and his entire team in danger in almost in every city. Throughout the book of Acts, from Acts 16 on, it's striking how much anger and opposition Paul stirred up amongst the Jewish people. They hated Jesus. They crucified him. They hated Paul. And they wanted him dead. Now, please understand, I'm not talking about all the Jewish people. I'm talking about those who refused to believe in Jesus. They were fierce and violent in their opposition to the gospel. And Paul, plus anyone else who was on his team, was constantly in their crosshairs. He was constantly in danger. And we've seen that throughout the series. No one on this team was more consistently present with Paul than Timothy. Unless you want to count Luke, who was there writing all this down. But there was more than just violent opposition. If you read through the end of the book of Acts, you'll see how dangerous it was to travel in those days. It wasn't like they jumped on an airplane and flew business class. It took weeks and months to get from place to place. In fact, read 2 Corinthians 11 with me. Listen about his travels. He says, I've worked much harder been in prison, prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Don't go on a cruise with Paul, all right? I spent the night and day in the open seas. I've been, uh, what's he say here? I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers and dangers from bandits and danger from my fellow Jews and danger from Gentiles and danger in the city and danger in the country and danger at sea and in danger from false believers. Verse 27, I have labored and toiled and more often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And then Paul talked about something else. But his constant concern for the new believers he helped convert to Jesus, he says this, besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Look at all the physical things that happened to Paul and what was, what was he most concerned about? The concern for the churches that he established. Working in the kingdom of God is not always easy, it's not always the safe way. Paul tapped Timothy at a young age on the shoulder to be a part of a courageous team. Then he tapped him on the shoulder to go to Thessalonica and to strengthen the believers there in the face of opposition. Then he tapped him again to go to Corinth, and there he was discouraged and run out of town. And now Paul is going to tap Timothy a third time on the shoulder and says, time to go to Philippi. And did we once ever read that Timothy complained? No, it's not recorded. Did we ever once talk about Timothy ever deserting Paul and giving up on Paul? No, it's never recorded. That's why that phrase, I have no one like him, is said, because Timothy sticks. Does that make sense? Timothy sticks. I, you know, 
I don't know what the future holds. I'm no fortune teller, but I can promise Tanya one thing. I stick. (laughs) I'm pretty sticky. I ain't going nowhere. Now, she might kick me out, but I stick. I'm clean. And when I walk with my Jesus, I do my best to stick. All right? In fact, Paul said this about Timothy. Listen to this. Timothy has proved himself. How did he prove himself? How did he prove himself? Because as a son with a father has served with me in the work of the gospel. He had proved himself in the work of the gospel. So Paul says, I have no one like him. Paul says with Timothy, he proved himself. He's no, no doubt he's talking partly because he was with him in all these dangerous situations, Yet, Paul, but Timothy stuck with him. He was clingy. He didn't desert Paul. Not Timothy. There was others that took a, took a hike and said, hey, that's not what I signed up for. Not Timothy. But there may be a little more work as we look deeper into this. For the word here is the word serve. In the Greek language, it's the Greek word doulos. And it literally means slave. It doesn't mean just servant, as we read in English translation. It literally translates as slave. Sometimes another, and sometimes another word used to translate the word serve is this word doulos, which means slave. So what's Paul trying to say? I think he's trying to say Timothy worked so very hard, he felt compulsion by the Holy Spirit to do the work of the gospel along him, as, along with Paul, as a slave to Jesus Christ. That's the kind of commitment that, G, that Paul, I mean, I'm sorry, that Timothy had made to Jesus. Can I get on my soapbox one more time? When I look in the American church, we're as committed to our church as long as it meets our needs. All right, this is going to get a little rough, but hear me out. I think a lot of people go to a church as long as they feel like they are getting spiritually fed. But what happens when you're not? Is it time to try out another buffet and see if they can feed you for a little while? We have a lot of Christian spiritual diabetics in our culture that have said, I want sweet Jesus, but the moment it gets rough or the moment I might hear something that kind of edges in on my comfort and the way I see things, well, there might be another church out there that better fits my needs. Got to be careful, including myself. I'm not preaching to you than something I haven't looked myself in the mirror and said to myself. But Timothy's life shows this about him. It's not about his giftedness that makes you useful for the Lord. It's about your willingness to be available and saying yes to God in faith. It's not about your giftedness. It's about your willingness to be available. Get off the attention off yourselves and put it on the others. That's what God put you here for. Commit yourself to serving God without concern for your own comfort. Let him take care of you. Timothy's life is a great example, but guess what? We can go back even a little farther, even past the example and past example of the apostle Paul from who he served as an apprentice. We can go all the way back to Jesus 
And this is where Paul is pointing in the Philippian believers. Listen to what he says in Philippians 2, 3 through 5. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to each of your own interests, uh, but each, each one of you, to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ. What is the mindset of Christ? Care more about others than you do yourself. Care more about the work of the gospel than you do your own comfort. But look at what verse 6 says. Oh, man. While being the very nature of God, he did not consider equality with God something to take to his own advantage. It's referring to Jesus. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, doulos, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance of a, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Maybe you're having a hard time with this concept, but what I want you to see is look to Jesus. Look what he left when he came to this earth. He's God himself. With all of the things that come and the attributes that come to God, he chose for himself to come and walk on this earth and became obedient to the Father, even to the point of death on a cross. So when you're asked to serve in whatever area of ministry in the church, whether it's here on Sunday mornings or it's in our community, do it as you're serving the one who served us first. It's the example set by Jesus. And you know, the, the thing I want to kind of wrap this all up this morning, consider others above yourself, consider the gospel above your own comfort. The purest form of that happened on the cross, but before it happened on the cross, it happened the night when they instituted the Lord's Supper. Because you all know how I feel about feet. Feet are disgusting. I could not imagine back in the day when most people didn't have shoes, and they walked on dirty paths, and then those things and those, oh, and people would get down and wash their feet. And on the night that the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper, it says he took a wash basin and towel and wrapped it around himself and got down and washed his disciples' feet. That's what service looks like. He took the lowest form of a servant and he washed feet. What's that look like for you and me? And if we're honest, are we living in a society, in a church culture, that'd be comfortable with that? Trust me, don't get nervous. We ain't have no foot washing service going on here. You all might. I will serve you any place else and any way else I can, but I ain't touching them puppies. Unless I get a direct revelation from the Lord to say, get down and do it. And then I do it. But you get my point, right? What's it look like to wash feet? How can you be more useful for the kingdom? You know, Timothy had just went probably through the most discouraging moment. Most of the ministers, I told you, the average day for a young minister is 18 months. Over 70% of them leave the ministry after that. Have you been through trials? Have you been through some hardships? You going to throw in the towel? Or are you going to pick up the towel and wash feet? That's who we follow. 
That's who we say we follow and love. That's the one who went to the cross, showing the purest form of service. I was a slave to Christ. I know it goes counterculture to a lot of messages that are being preached and taught today. The Bible says that in the last days, people will love messages that tickle their ears and make them feel good about themselves. But if you want to hear a Bible-believing message, open up the message and look at Jesus. It goes countercultural. But man, when you do stuff for the kingdom like what I'm talking about, people say, hey, something different about that guy. Something different about that girl. There's something different about those teens. Because you're following Jesus. But I'm going to ask you this morning just one question. Which Jesus are you following? The one who does, what have you done for me lately, buddy? Or Jesus, how can I do more for you? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your love. I know it never fails. I know you'll never let go. Even, Father, when there's times that are so frustrating and discouraging and disappointing in our lives, well, we bring it upon ourselves or this life happens. You're relentless in your pursuit for us. You never stop. You never let go. And so, Lord, I don't know where everybody's at at home that are watching or here this morning in their walk with Jesus. But I pray, Father, that they'll consider others above themselves, that they'll consider your gospel more above their own comfort. And so, Father, today, if they need to say yes to you, yes, I want to follow Jesus, that, Father, they would come and they would receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. That means they need to be baptized and have their sins washed away and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God, if it means that they need to come and rededicate, maybe this morning they're just feeling like, God, you're calling them to be more useful in the kingdom, but they don't know what that means and what that looks like. Give them boldness to step out in faith and say, I want to be that woman after your heart. I want to be that man after your heart. So, Father, hear our prayer this morning. Jesus' holy name we pray and all of God's people said. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To find out more, visit us online at gatewaychurch.net. See you next week.